0: You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. We've been walking through the uh, letter the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. We call it the book of Philippians, but it's really just a letter to a church. And he's been dealing with some very serious issues, some challenging issues, but it's special circumstances because he planted this church 11 years earlier, and he is now currently in prison. And he's on year three and four of being in prison, and he's longing for the people there, and he's had a lot of time to think and a lot of time to write, and while he's been here in prison, he's actually written several letters, some of those are in the New Testament, and in this one, he writes with a different, different approach a different attitude, this one with a lot more love and joy, it seems like, than in the others, it's like he's heard great things from them, he has a heart for them, and uh, but he's also missing them tremendously, and so he's talking about how God has, has given us this mission and this call and how he, last week we talked about how he said, these are all the things that I accomplished in my life, all my successes, all the things that I've racked up, all my trophies and medals, and he says, this is all that I've achieved, He said, but I count it all as rubbish, I count it all as nothing, because I gained one thing that's more important than all of that, and that is Jesus Christ. Paul defined Righteousness as faith in Jesus, and it's not a matter of rules or, or or regulations or how many times we can attend something or pay something or go to something. But it is all about faith in Jesus. He says that's what I found. So we're going to pick up right where he left off last week in Philippians chapter three, verse twelve. And Paul, all of a sudden, says something very surprising. This is what he says. He says. He's talking about this relationship with Jesus and this maturity and knowing who Christ is and and this full knowledge of knowing Jesus that comes with knowing him. But look what he says, verse 12. But I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection or maturity. The word there's maturity. He says, I'm not perfect. He says, I have not figured it all out. I am not fully mature. He says, but I press on to possess that perfection or that maturity for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. He says, no, dear brothers, I have not achieved it. What is he saying? Think about it. This is a guy who saw Jesus. Jesus, after the resurrection, handpicked Paul to appear in the flesh to, gave Paul a very specific mission, and through the life of Paul, man, he saw miracles, saw signs and wonders. Man was raising the dead and doing incredible. He's writing Bible, so you would think if there's anybody who's achieved it, if anybody has showed up and arrived, it would be someone like Paul. But he says, "Nope, not me." There's still more to go in my life, and this is what he says in verse thirteen. He goes on. He says, "But I focus on one thing." Everybody say one thing. So I focus on one thing, and that is. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize. Some translations say, I press on towards the goal to win the prize. He says, for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Paul gives us some incredible reminders on this walk with God that we're on. I mean, whether you are a Christian or a non-Christian, this is incredibly important today what we're going to look at. If you're not a Christian, this is going to give you some insight on what it means to walk and to know Jesus, if that's something you're thinking about or looking into. If you are a Christian, I believe this is going to give you freedom in what it means to walk and to be mature. Because there's a lot of misunderstandings of what maturity looks like in God. The apostle Paul, man, here's a guy who knew the words of Jesus, knew Jesus personally, did signs and wonders and miracles, writing Bible, and says, Hey, I have not fully arrived with full maturity. I'm not I'm not all that you think I am, he says. So he gives us a mature perspective on maturity. And here's the first thing he says. He says, he says, as long as I'm alive, I haven't arrived. This is about a holy dissatisfaction, not a guilt over not knowing stuff. This is not about, man, I wish I knew more of the Bible. I wish I could pray better. I wish I knew more things about God and about stuff that people might ask me. I just, it's, this is not what it's about. This is about a holy dissatisfaction. The best thing that I can kind of compare it to is, is when I was uh, uh, about 15, 16 years old, I I given my life to Jesus when I was 13, but in my when I was like 15, 16, I called my youth pastor and I, I called him and I said, I just need to talk to somebody. I need to talk to somebody. Now, if you are a teenager and you call a pastor crying, what are we going to think? Something terrible has happened, right? Maybe you're suicidal. Maybe there's abuse, or some terrible thing is going on. So, I'm like, I need to talk to somebody. I just, I just need to talk to somebody. So, you know what they did? Is they they left their office and they came to my house and they rang my doorbell. They walked in and they, they sat down with me and like, "What's wrong, Ted? What's wrong?" I was like, "I just, I just want to know God more. I just, I just want to. I don't know, man. I just." I was like. I mean, it may sound kind of strange but there was this moment in my life where I was just tired of church I was tired of of just the same old thing you know I'd read the Bible I was had gone on mission trips and I had had been apart and served in youth groups. there was just this holy dissatisfaction I just wanted more of God you know and I've 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 strived to keep that attitude and that heart in my life. I think that's really what defined me and why I went into ministries, because I just want to know God. And the Apostle Paul is saying, you know, as long as I'm alive, I haven't arrived. And this holy dissatisfaction of just wanting to know God more. Paul understood his sin nature. Is always at battle with his desire to know God. And he wrote about it often. He says, you know what, sometimes what I want to do is not what I do. And sometimes what I don't want to do is sometimes what I do. And he says, man, thank God for Jesus who helps me in all this stupidness. He says, thank God. He understood this. He realized that God still had more work on him to do And he had this continually teachable attitude. Some people, they come into church, not because they want to grow, but because they want to pick apart the sermon. They want to pick apart the teaching. They want to pinpoint the stumbles and and the issues with the message or the theology or sermon that doesn't line up with your perspective. And you know what? That shows an incredible lack of immaturity on your part because you think you're so mature. But what you're doing is you're identifying to yourself that you're not as teachable as you think you are. The apostle Paul says, I haven't arrived yet. He understood maturity. See, this is what really what it's like. We need more, we need a mirror more than we need binoculars. See, when you look in a mirror, what do you see? What do you see when you look in a mirror? What do you see? You see reflection, you see your faults, you see your imperfections, you see your handsomeness, you see your pride. see your arrogance, right, you see, you see your faults, right, but here's what, you know, it's enough of that. All right, so here's what happens is we, we see our faults, but what we tend to do is rather than have a mirror, we tend to have binoculars. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Left nostril. You got a hair hanging out there. You know. You can pinpoint all kinds of imperfections in people with these. They, you know, I got, I, you know, I got these in the mail, and uh, um, first thing I did was I looked out my window at my neighbors. <laughs> what are they doing, you know? And I was that guy with the with the binoculars looking out the window, and you know, this is what we are spiritually. You know, this this is what God wants us to do. Take a good look in the mirror. But this is what we end up, rather than having a spiritual walk that's more like a mirror of God showing us and us being honest to identify our weaknesses and our faults and, and the things we need to work on, we like to pinpoint other people's faults and failures, and we like to just kind of look in and, and, and kind of pick apart and dissect, and then, man, can you believe they're doing that? Look at this. We like to gossip, and we like to make fun of, and we like to belittle you see, we need more of a mirror faith than a binocular face. And the Apostle Paul is saying, you know what? There's a lot of people who own a set of binoculars spiritually, and all they do is they have this disease called log eye disease. Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 7. He says there are some people, they like to pinpoint all the little defects in other people's life. Man, you got something in your eye, man. You You need to take care of that. But in the whole time they're dissecting other people's failures, they don't even realize that the speck in another person's life, that they fail to see the log in their own eye. And he says there's a lot of people who have log eye disease. But the Apostle Paul says, no, take a look in the mirror. If you're alive... You haven't arrived. Spiritual maturity is realizing that you have not arrived and God still needs to work on you. God needs to work on you. Maturity is knowing that you still need growth. Take a good look in the mirror. He says this in Philippians 3, the second part of 13. He says, but I focus on one thing. Everybody say one thing. He says, but I focus on one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Here's the second thing: mature perspective on maturity is to move forward in Christ. I must leave some things behind. This is a powerful reminder: leaving some things behind, embracing the new you that Christ is making, and moving forward. This is not about leaving your wife. This is not about leaving your husband. This is not about leaving your family. I, I. Man, Christians in some kind of mixed up, perverted perspective of this will say, God's telling me to leave my husband or my wife. No, he's not. Read your Bible because God's very clear on this. This is more about leaving personal habits and things that are obstacles in your life to your spiritual growth. The Apostle Paul, he says, the past successes can seduce you and past failures can sideline us. See, we tend to think if we focus on our successes, we tend to think that we're better than we are. We, we I mean, we look at what I've accomplished, look at what I've done, look at all that I, look what all people think about me. And we think, man, we, we are here. We've arrived. Man, I've spoke so many times. I've preached so many times, man. I've sang so many times, man. I've written so many, you know, letters to people in prison. Or, you know, I've, man, I pray so much, you know. I've memorized so many verses. And some of you think, you just arrived, man. You just, man, if the church knew how awesome I was, they'd probably get rid of Ted. And we think that somehow we've earned a right to leadership or to ministry or to people's approval. and Somehow God owns this. Man, I put my time in, God. I've, I've come early and set up chairs for 20 years. It's time for me to stop setting up chairs and be in front of people now. You see, our successes can seduce us, but our failures can sideline us. God can never use me. I've messed up too much. I've said too much, gone too much, done too much. And you can't let go of what you did. He says, forgetting the past, looking forward to what lies ahead. Paul was not only referencing his past successes, which we read last week, where he says, man, all those successes, man, they're rubbish. They're nothing, man, because I've gained something that's even better, Christ. But he's also talking about his past failures, because he says, man, in other places, if there's anyone who's a worse sinner than me, I'd like to know who they are. I'm the worst of sinners, and not only did he have to leave his past successes, but he had to leave his past failures, that sin, that fear, that bitterness, that mistake, that harmful relationship, that abuse. Let it go. Let it go. Some of you are so, you're obsessed over what your father did to you or what your mother did or what your ex-wife or husband said or what your children's did to you and you're so angry at that boss and what was said about you and, and what that church in the past has done to you you're just so angry. Let it go. Press forward. This one thing, he says, man, I, I'm letting go of the past. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to what lies ahead. And then those glory days, those successes. Man, I used to go to a church that was X amount of members. Man, I used to, man, the crowd used to be there, man. We used to play and we used to do these things. And, man, God's glory used to fall. Let it go. Let it go of the past. The successes and the failures, And press toward what God wants to do with you now. Earthly success isn't forever, and failure isn't final. Here's the third thing about maturity that he says is that the right path is seldom the easy path. He says, I focus on one thing, looking forward to what lies ahead. That word looking forward means, uh, some translations actually it's a little bit more accurate, and the word there is straining forward. And the actual means that I'm stretching out, I'm reaching, I'm just extending as far as I can to grab what's ahead. There's this physical effort that is required to grab a hold of what is ahead. Let me tell you something, following Jesus ain't gonna lie is hard sometimes. It's really hard. It's hard to live an honorable life for God and before others. Sometimes it's difficult to do the right thing that God has called us to do and to live by faith and to trust that God is using you even when you don't see it. Sometimes when you do what is right, things don't go well for you and sometimes the world doesn't understand your walk with God and they will make fun, belittle or persecute you. It is not always easy living a life for Jesus. But one thing I do, he says, one thing I do is I press forward. I strain forward. One thing I do, no matter what happens, I keep going. I keep going. The one thing I do is I keep going. When life gets hard and I feel like I'm being attacked, one thing I do, I keep going. When I feel like I don't understand and my life is falling apart, my prayers aren't being answered, the one thing I do is I keep going. I keep stretching. I keep reaching for what lies ahead. This is also a matter of rejecting complacency. He says this stretching, this straining, we don't wake up mature. We must resist complacency and laziness. We must press forward. Complacency in your marriage will kill it. Complacency in our church will kill it. Complacency in your spiritual life will kill it. The Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24, speaking to the church in Corinth, he says, do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Anybody here watching the Winter Olympics? Does, every, yeah. Does everyone that participate in the Olympics get a participation medal? Sorry, millennials. Just kidding. <laughs> no participation, participation medal just for showing up. You know, they... Go to the Olympics for what reason? To win the gold, silver, or bronze. But they really want the gold, right? I mean, they, they end up with the second or third, but hey, you know, not everybody gets that. They win, they run to win. He says, man, if you look at runners or you look at a race or you look at competitions, he says people run to get the prize, So why do they compete? He says, well, this they run in such a way as to get the prize. Not everybody gets a prize. Not everybody gets a medal. So when you are competing in a competitive world or in a a game or a race or if you're playing board games or whatever, he says, man, you run, you play because you want to win. He says, right? He says, everyone who competes in those type of games, in earthly games, goes into strict training. Nobody in the Olympics ever said, you know what, I'm going to try out for the Olympics this year. Let's see what happens. You know what they do? They decide maybe when they're younger and they put hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours. They get up early. They deny themselves certain things because they're going to train or put this emphasis in this other area of their life and they have to say no to certain Activities and even relationships. And they invest time and energy and resources year after year. And they compete in other uh, races and competitions. And then they, they appear before this uh, Olympic uh, tryout uh, team. And, and, and man, they, it's all a process. Man, they strain. They It says here, it says those that compete in these kind of games, strict training. They don't just show up. Man, they are disciplining themselves. And he says this, they do it to get a crown that will not last. In the ancients, the Olympics used to get crowns, not medals, uh, not gold crowns like a king crown, but more like a a leaflet crown as a symbol of their honor. And these were very prestigious. He says, man, these people, they, they, they strain, they discipline their body to get a crown that won't last. He says, but we... Do it. What do we do? We discipline our body. We have strict training as well. There's a race that we're in. It's a spiritual race. And he says, the, those in worldly competitions, not that there's anything wrong with worldly competitions and races and games and stuff. He says, but man, they, they discipline themselves for a crown that will not last. But we discipline ourselves, he says, for a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I don't run like a man running aimlessly. I'm not like a man who, who fights or boxes like a man beating the air. He says, no, what I'm doing is not pointless. It says, verse 27, no, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Now, this doesn't mean that he's actually torturing himself and beating himself. He says, here's the deal. I'm not going to let my body tell me what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell my body what to do. Jesus said, you know, the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know what, there comes a point when you, you're sick of your flesh telling you what you're going to do. He said, man, through, through discipline, because I want to run this race, and, and I'm just, I am just don't want to get to heaven, man. I want to I cross that ribbon in first place, man, because I want to give all glory to Jesus. He says, man, I do this for a crown that lasts forever. He goes, and I'm doing this just like you doing it. He says, I've got to discipline myself, I've got to train myself, otherwise I'm going to disqualify myself, because if I don't live what I preach, I'm a hypocrite, and I disqualify myself. He says, but that's not what I do. I'm going to, I'm going to preach it, I'm going to talk it, and I'm going to do it. He says, like a runner, you may fall, you may stumble, you may struggle, but you get up because you are a runner. rerun. We run. It's a spiritual race. We run. And let me tell you something. The right path is seldom the easy path, which leads us to the next step. Is it number four? He says the only way to follow Jesus is one step at a time. Verse 14, it says, I press on. I press on to reach the end of the race. You race one step at a time closer and closer. He says, I press on. I take one step and I press on. I take a step and I press on. And I achieve the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. There is no crash course on being a follower of Jesus Christ. You can't complete a course and arrive in maturity. We have a class on Monday nights called Living the Way, and we want everybody to go through it. But when you're done through it, you're not a mature Christian just because you went through the class. In fact, it's basically just kind of a a primer to help you grow in your maturity moving forward. He He says, there's no crash course. This is a process of maturity. You must press on. We must grow step by step, sometimes inch by inch. And for some of you, centimeter by centimeter. But you press on. He says, verse 15, let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. Maturity is understanding, having grace and patience that we're all still growing. I love this. He says, if you're mature, you need to understand that we're all growing. If you're going to be mature, a mature perspective on maturity is maturity is not about how many Bible verses you know. It's not about how perfectly you go to church. Or if you figured out the whole financial trust in God. This is not what spiritual maturity is. Those are tools. Those are maybe some fruit of a good, healthy, spiritually mature person. But spiritual maturity is understanding that we're all running a race. And we're all taking that step little by little, step by step, each individually. He says, if you disagree on some point, I believe God will make a plan to you. That means you don't get it, but you will. He says, if you don't get it that other people are going slow, I'll give you grace because you might be going slow too. I know God will help you to understand in time. And then he says, verse 16, but we must, all of us, must hold to the progress we have already made. Wow, you know what he's saying? He's saying, start with what you know and go from there. Walk with that. Some of you have been serving Jesus or walking with Jesus for many years, and, and it's time for you to walk in what you know. For some of you, you're new to Christianity, or maybe you've been away, and you're back, and you're still kind of young in your faith. Well, walk in what you know. It says, let's all just hold on to what we know and begin there and walk in that. I like Proverbs 4.18 says... The path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn shining even brighter to the full light of day. It's like this. When you give your life to Christ, it's like the sun breaks the dawn, a burst of light into the darkness. But as that sun grows and progresses through the day, it gets brighter and brighter. He says, you want to know what walking with God is like? It's like, boom, you break the dawn. The light breaks the darkness. But as you grow, you will shine brighter and brighter and brighter till the noonday. He says, you may not have it figured it all out, but walk with what you have. And he will make it clear to you as you walk with him. Until then, take one step at a time, walk in what you know. Don't be overwhelmed by all the stuff that maybe you're afraid you don't know. No, God has only asked you to live what you do know right now. And as you grow, he will give you more. And as for those of you who are mature, stop dumping on other people things that they don't know in a way that assumes that they should know more, or be more, or have more, or walk in more, or understand more. A mature person understands that we're all growing at different levels in different places, the Apostle Paul is saying. Verse 17, he says, dear brothers and sisters, pat on your life after mine and learn from those who follow our example. He just said, I'm not perfect. I haven't a- attained perfect maturity. He says... I don't have a perfect faith, but I can still be an example of my faithfulness to God. Maturity is not perfection. Some of you are like, man, one day I just hope to be as mature as Ted. Well, thank you. Appreciate that. But I'm not that mature. And Some of you who think you are mature, you're not as mature as you think. Because maturity is not perfection. It's humility. It's brokenness. It's understanding that you still have a lot to learn. Then Paul gives a serious challenge He's saying, if you're not there yet, keep running. And if you think you're there, you're not. And then he says this, Philippians 3.18. He says, for I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes. He's getting very emotional about what he's going to say. There are many of those who conduct, whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. Guys, listen. Sometimes the most dangerous enemy is the one who looks like a friend. He says, there are people in the church that are actually not good for you. Can you believe that? People like come to church and think everybody in the church is supposed to be like right with God. We're not, which is why we're all here. We all need God. We all need Jesus. And many of us are in different places. But sometimes not only do we need God, but there's actually dangerous people. He's not just talking about immature people, he's talking about dangerous people now. He says they are headed for destruction, their God is their appetite, they brag about brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life on earth. Satan's goal is not to make us evil, but to keep us from Christ. And let me tell you something, you, if you're a good person, and, and you think you've arrived, and that you deserve heaven, Satan's just happy with right where you're at. You don't have to be some crazy, wild, you know, perverted type of person, you know, or you don't have to be doing the uh, involved in the occult or Satanism and stuff. The, the, see, the devil's goal is not to get you to be evil. He just wants you away from Jesus. And whatever that might look like, he's happy with that. So the Apostle Paul gives us some very serious warnings that the enemy is making his way into the mindset of the church with two very destructive point of views and he says, these two point of views are very dangerous to the church. And if Satan can derail us from the truth, he is fine with it. This is what he says. Maturity is understanding this, is that we are called not to legalism or to lawlessness, but to liberty. Paul had already been talking about the add-on Christians. Those that, if you love Jesus, you'll do this. If you love Jesus, you'll do this. Last week was all about how the Apostle Paul said, these people are like dogs, he said. They're like wild dogs. They just just repopulate and they like to attack and they eat and attack whoever gets close to them. Beware of them and they're in your own church. And then he says, but there's a flip side. There's another type. Not only is there the, the legalistic dogs, but there's also the lawless ones. We react differently to this freedom that Jesus has given us. See, some go crazy with rules. Rules, regulations, Hail Marys, light the candles, obey the ten. Try harder, not only love your neighbor, but love your neighbor like this. Not only read your Bible, read your Bible like this. You must cut your hair, you must not go to R-rated movies, and you can't do this or can't do that. This results in guilt, exhaustion, and shame. And these are the people that go crazy with rules in a desire to reflect God. They go crazy with rules. The Apostle Paul says, Man, these people are dangerous. And he says, but there's another type of people that is just as dangerous. And these are the people that just go crazy. These are the lawless people. These are the people that do what they want. Hey, man, I'm a Christian. I can live it up. I can light it up. I can do whatever I want. I'm saved by grace, not through works. So it's not my works that can take it away. In theological term, it's called antinomianism. It's where you say, man, there's nothing that saved me, so there's nothing that can take that away from me. Those who live immoral lives and dishonor the name they claim... They claim to be Christians, but their fruit says otherwise. And all they say is, well, I'm forgiven. I'm not perfect, but I'm forgiven. And they use the grace of God as an excuse to do lawless things. The result is bondage to self, a slavery to self and our own desires, and sometimes, in worst case, a slavery to addiction. 1 Peter 2.16, Peter says this. He says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God with other people in mind. Galatians 5, the Apostle Paul says, verse 13, it says, you were called to be free, to have liberty, but don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. You see, Paul is saying there's two types of a coin here that are kind of dangerous among the body. Two types of people that call themselves Christians that are in the church, and the first one is the legalist, those who turn the tools of faith And to the rules of faith. And then there's the lawless, those that life, their life does not reflect the compassion and the life and the morality of Jesus. Both sides are unhealthy. Both sides are dangerous. Galatians 4, 5, and 6 talk a lot about this specifically. These two things expose two things that Christians tend to do. The first one is syncretism. That's when Christians tend to mix their ideas with the world's ideas. Their philosophies, their opinions, their lifestyles to the point that you can't tell the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. That's syncretism. That is also known as lawlessness. And then there's secretarianism. And secretarianism is when you, you, you divide yourself in the world so much that you end up in this tiny little bubble. You, you become completely uh, irrelevant to the culture and to life because you separate yourself with so many rules and regulations. You become some kind of strange little group. Syncretism leads to unfaithfulness, turning freedom into a self-centered person with very little self-control, lawlessness. The secretarianism leads to an irrelevance to culture, religious, a church with no impact on real lives. And, and it, it results in a bunch of weirdos with a bunch of rules, to legalism. legalism. The Apostle Paul says, be careful because mature people know the difference. The mature people know that we're not called to be legalists or to be lawlessness, but to be people who live in liberty, but with the understanding that we're not legalists or lawless. Why is this such a big deal? Why does he even mention this? Well, he tells us why this is such a big deal. He says lawless and legalist verse 18, he says, I've told you before, and I'm going to say it again, I'm crying when I'm writing this with tears in my eyes that there are many whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They're headed for destruction, their God is their appetite, they brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. Why is this such a big deal? Because lawless and legalists devalue the cross. Number one, it says their conduct shows that they're really enemies of the cross. God's grace is not cheap. The cost of our salvation was blood. Some wink at the cross. Thanks, Jesus, for the cross. I'm saved by grace, so I'm free to live any way I want. Thanks, Jesus. Big guy upstairs, man. Thank you for saving me. Listen, he's not the big guy upstairs. He's the king. He's the savior. We are to give him honor and respect, and we, we give our life to our Lord. Not the big guy, not the, not the guy who pays the rent. He's not just the man upstairs or some, the boss guy or the big G. He's king. And when we belittle God and we look at the cross as some kind of allowance to live however the heck we want now, you are trampling on the very cross and the blood that was shed for us. He says, man, these people are enemies of the cross. They thank Jesus And then live however they want. Let me tell you something. This is not about salvation. This is about honoring the salvation that we have been given. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23 says, I have the right to do anything you say. Which is true. I'm not saved by my actions. I don't keep my salvation based upon if I'm a good person or if I don't swear or if I don't get drunk. I don't keep my salvation based upon how I live or the things I do. I am free and I have the right to do anything. He says, but not everything is beneficial. He says, I have the right to do anything. True, but not everything is constructive or profitable. See, our position is not based on our actions, but our life will reflect it. He says, we've been given this freedom. You've been given this liberty not to indulge the flesh, but to be servants of God and to serve one another in love. What does that mean? That means there are some things that I'm not going to do, not because I can't do them, but I'm not going to do them because it doesn't help you know Jesus better. It might even cause you to miss Jesus. It might, it might cause someone to, to not hear him. And I choose not to do these things because of it. Because they're not profitable or constructive. While some cheapen the power of the cross, emphasizing human effort, others cheapen the power of the cross for an allowance to indulge. Living a hypocritical life or raising the bar with man-made rules cheapens the cross to simply an admission ticket. And this is the second problem Is it legalism and lawlessness? They repel people from God. He says their God is their appetite. What's that mean? That means rather than serving the God of all creation, they serve themselves. And their flesh, their belly, some translations say their belly is their appetite. It's whatever they want, they do. Living for selfish pleasures rather than denying self to live for Christ, they give free reign to their own appetites. This type of hypocritical life is a repellent to those that are looking for Jesus. You're like, man, I want to be a light in my office, but yet, do you look any different than anybody else in your office? I want to be a light in my school, but do you look any different than anybody else in your school? Sometimes our life can repel people from knowing Jesus. Let me tell you something, when you read the New Testament, Jesus and the apostles never attack the culture. The Apostle Paul never said, get on the steps of the Roman government and boycott. They never tried to shut down all those goddess and God temples that were filled with prostitution and immorality. They never once in the scriptures attacked the culture. But you know what they always warned against? Jesus, time and time again, he always gave warnings to the so-called followers of God who made it hard for people to see God and to know Jesus. One of the most serious things that Jesus said was in Luke chapter 17, dealing with this very issue. Jesus said to his disciples, it's inevitable that stumbling blocks will come. Those are temptations. It's inevitable. People will will struggle. It's inevitable. You will stumble. Your friends will stumble. There's going to be struggle. It's inevitable. He says, but woe to the one through whom they come. That means if you're the person who's causing the stumbling, if you're the person who's causing someone to be tempted, if you're the person who's causing somebody to miss God or stumble or to struggle to know God, he says, woe to you. It is better for him to have a millstone, that's a rock hung around his neck, and to be thrown into the sea than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. What? Jesus is saying, you know what, it's inevitable we're all going to stumble. But if you are the one that's causing someone to stumble... I'm coming after you. You're to wish you'd never been born. Wow. Now, Jesus is obviously not telling us to go take our life, but he's giving this this hyperbolic uh, response to he is dead serious about how we affect other people's lives. He takes it very serious when we cause another to stumble. That's why the Apostle Paul is so adamant about why these people are so dangerous. The line between accountability and legalism is very clear. They're like, well, you're just being legalistic by holding me accountable. You know, I'm free in Christ, man, and I'm not, you're being legalistic, and, you know, how do you know the difference between someone who's being legalistic and accountable? Well, let me put it this way. Anybody here ever had to potty train your children? Right? Yes. Were you being judgmental to your child pooping their pants? Why can't you just let a child poop their pants? If they don't want to use the toilet, they don't want to use the toilet. Just, they'll figure it out, right? Then we'd all be a bunch of adults and this whole room would be really smelly because nobody'd ever learn to potty train. You're not being judgmental to your child when you're challenging them to use the toilet. What are you doing? You're helping them to grow mature. You're loving them. You're caring for them. You're not being mean when you do. The the goal is not to to get them to be under your control, but to help them to have a richer life and a freer life and, and to be mature in their body and in their growth, right? So you're helping them. And you know what? Sometimes accountability is helping you to stop pooping your pants. We got Christians who poop their pants on a daily basis. And you know what, if I were to come to you or a Christian brother or a sister were to come to you and to challenge you, we're not being legalistic if we're in love, in love, helping you to mature and grow. See, there's a difference between legalism and accountability. Don't confuse them. We are called to be accountable to each other. God gives us house rules, faith in Jesus and follow the spirit. This results in a life that honors God and reflects his word. But then the Apostle Paul says this, here's another reason why this is a big deal about lawlessness and legalists, is that they breed an attitude of elitism and arrogance. It says they brag about shameful things. That means they boast about things they should be ashamed of. Not only do they do them, but they brag about them. They take pride in it. Man, I'm going to Instagram that. <laughs> this is gonna, I'm going to tweet about that right now. Man, Snapchat story, come on, guys. You know, wherever they're at, I don't know. Facebook update, hanging with my bros, getting high, whatever. <laughs> I've actually had friends that take pictures of them and smell self-smoking pot. And I'm like, really? <laughs> What's your address? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've got pastor friends of mine that before they were pastors never smoked cigars. But now that they're pastor, they smoke cigars because it's cool. I have pastor friends of mine that never drank, just wasn't part of their personality, but now they, they hang out and, and, and brew beer with their neighbors and friends and stuff, which is fine, but the motivation behind it is kind of interesting. Or I, knew, I know pastor friends that never swore before they became ministers, and all of a sudden, they're like, they, they're, because it's cool, it's hip, it's like, it's relevant, and then I'll talk to them and, like, wait, you don't smoke cigars? <laughs> Come on. You don't make your own brew? Come on, man. You're immature. You're just being legalistic, Ted. You will when you get mature like me and get free like me. I'm thinking, man, that lawlessness of yours is quite arrogant, you know? It's quite an uh, elite attitude. You must be immature. You mean you don't wear black and have tattoos? Come on, man. I knew guys had never even thought about getting a tattoo until they became a pastor. And was all of a sudden, tap me up, bro. It's just fine. It's not my thing. I don't have any problem with it. But the, this whole idea that somehow you're better than me because you allow more of these things in your life. That attitude of lawlessness or that attitude of uh, is, is very arrogant. And it's very immature is what it is. So there's a lot of immature pastors out there. And there's a lot of people that aren't Christians. I'm sorry, uh, that are Christians that have that same attitude. And you might think you're mature and free and liberated. But really, you're in slavery to your own self, to your own desires, and to your own appetite. All things are okay. You can do anything, but not everything is profitable, beneficial, or constructive. Legalism, lawlessness, both breed arrogance. Legalists say, well, the cross is cool, but tongues is where it's at. You know, Jesus' salvation is great, but prophecy? Churches that preach the Bible are good, but if you're not having prayer lines and people aren't laying out and you don't have catchers, you don't even know what that is. There are churches that they have prayer lines and they expect everybody or as many of them that can or will submit to the spirit to fall out in the spirit as if they were dead. And so they have catchers. I used to be part of a church that was catchers. I used to be a catcher for a season. And they instruct you on how to catch. It's like a trust fall, spiritual trust fall. (laughs) It's like, it's okay. They're like, they're praying. They're like, the pastor's coming. to lay hands on them. They're like, they're catchers? Okay, good. (laughs) And then sometimes they're like, I know there's a catcher, but there's not. And they're like, oh, man, I got to lay down here for a while because otherwise I'm going to look like a was waiting for a catcher. You know, we have this attitude in the arrogance of some churches. You mean you don't keep the Sabbath? You mean you don't get up at 5 a.m. and pray every day, man? You mean you don't read your Bible three times a year and have at least one verse that you memorize a day? Come on. I'll tell you what. He says, these kind of people, they, they think that they're varsity. And that somehow you're junior varsity. And that attitude of elitism and arrogance is very repelling to those that are looking for Jesus. It's an attitude of arrogance. The lawlessness, people, what, you don't drink? what You don't party? Man, you don't do that? Man, I'm free. You'll eventually get it. You must be mature because nothing can separate us from Jesus Christ. So I'm, man, I'm living the free life. Watch out for those who focus on self-indulgence rather than self-discipline. The Apostle Paul says this. He says, verse 19, they think only about this life here on earth. That means they focus on earthly pleasures. You see, like those verses earlier, he says, man, we don't indulge in the flesh, even though we have freedom to do whatever we want. He says, we don't use our freedom to draw in the flesh, but rather to have a heart of serving one another in love. That means, again, there's things I don't do because of you, for your sake. But you see, this type of person, he says, they don't, they're not thinking about you. They're not thinking about what, how this might affect you or how how this might affect other people. All they want to do is indulge in what they want to do. And then verse 19, he says, here's the last reason this is important, because they're headed for destruction. That means this type of mindset of legalism and lawlessness is heading people straight to hell. It's taking people to hell. Man, Ted, why just can't let it be? Ignore this issue. Just... You know, can't we all just get along? Well, there are things that we can debate and that we can discuss without division. But when there are things or issues of salvation, then these are things that we must make a clear distinction. Spiritual lives are at stake. And the Apostle Paul says, these people are leading people straight to hell. The word destruction there is perdition, which means everlasting judgment. He says, these are people you need to watch out for. The legalists are chasing people away because of the rules and regulations bound in slavery to rules. And then there are those who are the lawlessness, chasing people away with their hypocrisy bound in bondage to themselves. Those who promote lawlessness lead to a false gospel. God has rescued us in our sin and saved us from our sin so that we could be free from sin. He didn't save us and forgive us in our sins so that we could continue to sin, but saved us from our sin that we will grow to more and more as we walk with him. Those who buy the lie that you can do anything you want are leading people to destruction and judgment and a false assurance of salvation. Those who promote legalism lead people to a false gospel as well. For God died to bring freedom, not bondage. And those who buy the lie that you must do certain things to gain God's favor, it leads to discouragement, often leaving the faith before it ever takes root. I I can't tell you how many people I've sat down with and said, man, I've been turned off by church so much. The the harsh rules and the legalistic and the, the, the attitudes and the arrogance and the pride. If being religious is a list of things you don't do, then a corpse is highly spiritual but it's not what makes us right. Listen, the cross doesn't need our help. Whenever the cross is not enough, they trample on the cross. So maturity, he says, is understanding that we are called to liberty, but that doesn't mean lawlessness and legalism. Maturity is knowing that there's a balance between the two that is always going to be conflicting with our growth. So this is what he says. We are free, but not irresponsible. Verse 20, This we're going to end with this. He says, but we are citizens of heaven, he says, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. Man, we're just passing through. We all got our temporary visas. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. Not our rules, our man-made rules will save us or our phony lawlessness is a fake freedom will save us. He says, but he will return as our savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. He's reminding us he is in charge. He doesn't need your help for salvation. He doesn't need your permission to work in people's lives. And he's got this life and the next in his hands. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy, my crown, he says, stand firm in the Lord in this way. You know, as we talk about maturity, some of you guys are at a place where you're wondering if you're ever going to be mature. And you struggle so much. And I want to end with this thought right here: Is here. You know, our little girls, though well, they're not little girls anymore when they were little. Uh, Noel's 19, Summer turns 17 in a couple of weeks, and you know, those moments when the child, your baby, walks for the first time, it's pretty glorious, it's pretty glorious. I mean, you're taking, you now we got we got cameras now, we're taking pictures, we're taking videos, and you know, we're calling people, we're like, oh my gosh, oh, you know, it's like amazing, we're just so proud, but here's what didn't happen, okay, let's say all right, Summer, here we go. You got, I'm helping you up. Grab a hold of that. Okay, now, okay, now, come to me. Come to me. Come to me. She takes one step, and she falls, and I don't go. What a loser. <laughs> what a failure. Get up, you loser. <laughs> okay, let's try this again. Get up on the thing. Okay, Get up on the thing. Okay. okay, Okay. now come, come to me. You suck. What a loser. You know, it's like we don't do that. Man, one step, and we're like, yeah, you took one step. You took it. step. Oh, it's okay, baby. It's okay. Get up. You're awesome. Awesome. Right? We're celebrating one step. One step, and then two steps. Oh my gosh. Three steps. All oh, right! right. We get excited. We're not in God's. Listen, we have a good father. And when you give your life to Jesus and you fail, he's not going, What a loser! What a failure. Ha! You suck. No, you know what he does? He says, It's okay, son. It's okay, daughter. Let's do this again. One step, awesome! It's okay, you fell, it's okay. You took a step. Next time you maybe you'll take two steps. And maybe, maybe pretty soon you'll be walking. And then you're running. But it's a process to get there, right? We have a good father. The Apostle Paul is challenging us understanding that maturity is a race that we run step by step. If you're alive, you haven't arrived, have grace with each other. Because we have a good dad who's given us a lot of patience as we learn to walk with him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you have given us grace in the midst of our struggles and temptation and sin. I thank you, Father, that you don't give up on us. You don't give up on me. And, Father, I pray there's anyone here that maybe their word that you've given up on them, I pray that you'd let them know you haven't and that you care for them and that you love them and you have a place for them in your family. If you're here right now, I want to pray for three types of people right now. First of all, if you're here and you're being convicted because maybe you were the legalist, you lived your whole life with rules and that you've tried to put those rules on other people and you've condemned each other and you've lived your life through binoculars, picking out and pinpointing the faults in other people's lives. It's time to repent of that this morning. Some of you, maybe you've been the lawless one who's used the cross of Christ as, a, as an excuse to indulge in things that are unhealthy for you as a Christian, it's time to repent of those things. Or maybe you're here today and you've been hurt by Christians, hurt by churches that have been either lawless or legalist, and you've missed the liberty of knowing the freedom of Jesus Christ, and you would like to know that now. Will you just take a moment where you are and just pray, just talk to God. Say, God, here is my life. Forgive me of my sin. Thank you, God, that you're still working on me. I need you, Jesus, to work in me. Humble me, Jesus. Forgive me of my sin. Here's my life. Show me how to walk with you, Jesus. I don't want to be a lawless one. I don't want to be a legalist. I want to know the freedom of being a child of a good dad who loves me and is patient with me, And helping me to grow mature every day. God, I give you praise in that. In Jesus' name, amen. So today, take a look in the mirror. And see what God has to say to you. Amen.